So check this out. This is another episode of Film Streak, and my name is Rob. You know, look, this episode's going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, one thing that that has come to mind, and it it's really never left my mind, but it's certainly on my mind today as I'm recording this, is um, if you've listened to any of the previous episodes, if you've listened from the beginning, which I... I doubt any of you have, and that's all right. Uh, you know that there was a point here in Film Street uh, about a year ago when I just stopped. I had to stop. You know, I, I tried to do this thing, watching a film every day, and it was a really cool idea, and I was really excited about doing it. But um, real life took over, and. The main thing was my mom got sick and she was in the hospital and it got really progressively worse and um, she ended up passing away. And it was exactly on Mother's Day last year. And that was not, that was not really an easy thing to get through. Um, a big part of it being that it took away a lot of the excitement, a lot of the enthusiasm, uh, really any inclination to watch or even try to enjoy movies anymore for what I thought would maybe be a few days turned into weeks, turned into months. I just couldn't see, I couldn't see a way to enjoy much of anything really. And so it took me some time. It took me some time to really work through a lot of, just a lot of things that had to be taken care of, but also a lot of feelings, a lot of uh, thoughts about everything. And I did eventually come back, as you can see, you look at previous episodes from about a year ago. Um, there was a pause for, I think, about three months. And then I did come back. And part of it was I wanted to... I wanted to still continue with the idea that I originally had. And even though I wouldn't be able to do it watching a new film every day, I thought, well, I still also want to maybe honor the intention to do something that I'm excited about, that I'm passionate about, uh, whether that's films or just talking about films or just talking about people doing creative work and sharing their stories, telling their stories. All of that was still top of mind, even outside of dealing with emotions and all of the things that come with trying to close the book on someone's life. And so, you know, look, I just love watching movies. I'm going to watch them anyway. And I might as well at least take the time and put the energy into sharing it with you. And so the people that I talk to in real life about films, it's very much like this. And the people that I've had with me that have been on some episodes here, um, I, I think you can see that. And and the plan is to do that more. I, I do have some other ideas for maybe having some other, let's say, guests or co-hosts or, or whatever we want to call them just some friends to hang and talk about some movies with. Uh, I do have some more thoughts to do that. 
Um, what has been fun is to be able to put some themed episodes together. And I've done that here recently with Korean films, and I've got a few more things coming up. So I hope that's something that's interesting, something that you like hearing. If not, I also still have a mind to do just the grab bag episodes where I just kind of lump a bunch of stuff that I've recently watched, just put it all together and see what happens. And so with this episode, look, I just wanted to get to a place where I could be, I guess, a little bit more emotionally stable with uh, a lot of feelings and a lot of uh, things going through my head about this time of year. Uh, this is going to be one year now. Uh, Mother's Day is not on the same day this year, but it is also coming up. And I wanted to look back, actually, um, at films that I have previously seen, but uh, maybe share a little bit of my memories and my experience with them with my mom. And so, um, so let's do that. All right, so next up here, Film Streak 244, 9 to 5. 20th Century Fox presents a tribute to anyone who has ever been overworked, underpaid, and pushed to the edge by an ungrateful boss. <laughs> promptly at nine because if they're not on time they know they'll get the sack but before they begin the daily grind the boss takes his cup black they remember each date make sure he's not late and keep everything organized they reserve tables for brunch or a three martini lunch while they dine on burgers and fries they listen to all his problems. They do their best to please. And even if they run the show, he gets paid for their ideas. Great work. And so long as he's alive from nine to five, they'll take it all they can. But what will go on when the light finally dawns that it's time to get back at that man? Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and Dolly Parton. Nine to five. Uh, well, <laughs> look, I my background, my career is in marketing and in advertising. And having seen the movie, and I saw the movie a long time ago, but just recently watched it again. Uh, that trailer is trash. Like it doesn't tell you really, it tells you a lot of things. It tells you some, some ideas of something, but it doesn't tell you anything about the actual movie. And that's a real shame because this film stars, as that trailer said, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, uh, Dolly Parton. And it's really a, it's strange because it is an odd movie. It's not entirely a comedy, although it is mostly a comedy, but it does have some deeper things that it's trying to poke at, commenting on 
women in the workplace, especially in that time, like the late 70s, early 80s. From my mind, maybe in, in the moment, it seemed a little maybe progressive and even a little daring. But today, looking back at it, like it's very, one, it is smartly done. Like there is a lot of smart humor in it, but it's very subtle. I mean, you've got to kind of watch for it. But at the same time, um, it does get into some really kind of madcap, really broad comedy, even some physical gags in it. And um, so it really gets, it hits on a bunch of different levels. But the core of it being that so much of this film really hangs on the performances of these three actors. And the fact that they're not, they get not a single spoken word in the trailer. You don't even see their face in the trailer. I I just wonder what the decision was there. I don't know if it's like a, a studio or somebody in marketing saying, we don't know if this idea is going to work with audiences. So let's kind of soft shoe it and gently put it out there. I don't know. I think the film is really fun. And the fact that this trailer just doesn't know justice, that's kind of disappointing. But I'll say this, I mean, even look, just even from the very beginning here, I want to play this for you because this is just, this kind of sets the tone in a strange way, just by sound alone. And I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five What? <laughs> Come on. Isn't that catchy? Isn't that just hook you right away? I mean, on screen, it's just people waking up, getting their day started, going about their business. But the music, it's just got an energy to it. And you listen to the words, right? It is about that daily struggle and about trying to get motivated and trying to do something and trying to count. And so much of that, I think... um, is in the movie and it is approached from a women's point of view, uh, especially in a, like a corporate workplace, but uh, it can apply to everybody. And I think that's part of the one. I think that's why that song in general is just really kind of universally. Uh, it just works, but also especially for the time this came out in 1980. Exactly. Uh, I think this film was actually pretty important. And so, yeah, I can get into the story a little bit. The stories, it starts out where we've got uh, Jane Fonda. She plays a character named Judy. She's starting a new job in a corporate business. Um, it's not, you know, it's not really even clear what this company is or what they do. It's just the fact that she's coming into this new space that is not something she's accustomed to it, it. You know, she says, well, I've been a housewife for so many years. I, all of this is new to me. And so she's going into the workplace, Lily Tomlin, she plays Violet and she is the one that is kind of her tour guide, our tour guide. 
of who's who in the office, who does what. And then we've got Dora Lee, who is uh, played by Dolly Parton. And she is the assistant to their supervisor on their floor of this office building. And she is the one that has the real, I mean, you can hear from that song. That's her singing, right? That's her song. But Dolly Parton really brings, I guess, like the sass to the whole game. It's a strength. It's an attitude. It's unfortunate, I guess, that it doesn't really get represented in the right ways, especially on film or in stories, but it's a thing that is real. And I've experienced it myself, working with many wonderful women over the years in in corporate workplaces and, and in businesses, that people that know how to stand up for themselves and stand their ground and take charge and be smart about it, I... I appreciate that kind of thing. And to see someone misrepresented, mislabeled, get gossiped about because of misunderstandings or, you know, maybe some preconceived notions of who somebody is or what they're about, you know, that's always going to happen. But here, this this story at least plays on all of that. And so we've got Doralee, her She is the assistant to the boss who is uh, played, I'm just so wonderfully by Dabney Coleman. And he's kind of a prick. He's kind of an asshole. And so to see that this guy just totally collapses, he doesn't have a spine. And these women are really there to hold it together. And they have the right idea for how to make this a good workplace and how to get the job done. All three of these women, Doralee, Violet, and Judy, they all, for different reasons, they all converge into this moment of we've got to change the way things are. And we see that Hart, their boss, is kind of the problem here. So their thought is to get rid of him. Are they going to kill him? Are they going to kidnap him? Or what are they going to do? Are they going to get him fired? It does kind of go through this whole journey of them trying to do this. And and ideally, the thing is, they just want him out of the picture so they can make some changes in the office. There's a lot to that part of the story. Like once that really gets cooking, then things get a little more complicated and, and who's going to do what and how this is all going to play out. But there's a point, at least early in the film, that I really enjoy about the dynamics here because we're seeing Hart really come in and being the guy that's like, Hey, you can't do this. I don't like you talking like this. I need you to be a certain way. And, and he's about presentation and he's about, you know, his girls and all of this stuff. And a lot of it is real condescending and demeaning and uh, certainly inappropriate by all means. But there's a scene where Dora Lee in her imagination, in a, in a fantasy, she's talking about with the other two characters, where she kind of explains like, well, this is kind of how I would see it going if I were in charge. Morning. Hold it. Just hold it right there. Something wrong? No, no, nothing's wrong. I just want to check your bod. Turn around for a second. Oh, oh you got a nice ass frame. But you know you ought to get your pants cut a little tighter. You need to bring them up just a little in the crotch. I mean, you got a nice package. You might as well show it off. Oh, 
Mrs. Rhodes. <laughs> Come over here. I want you to take a memo. To all personnel. Boy, that's great cologne you're wearing, Frank. Oh, thank you. That stuff's turning me on. What's that called? Stud. Stud. Oh. Well, it's very sexy. Only I don't like that tie you're wearing. What happened to the ones I gave you? Well, nothing. I just... Take it off. Excuse me? Take it off. I can't work with those stripes glaring out at me like that. And how about unbuttoning that coat and your shirt? You need to loosen up. Yeah. That's better. <laughs> now, where were we? The memo. Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, I got a surprise for you here. Mrs. Rhodes, I am a married man. Forget about your wife, Frank. I mean, you may be hers in the evening, but you're my boy from nine to five. Here, I wanted to show you what I got for you. Isn't that pretty? Yes, it's pretty. It's very pretty, but you shouldn't be buying gifts for me, oh, Mrs. Rhodes. Okay, let me put it on here. Now, so much of that is the dialogue and the whole turning of the tables and really shining a light on how far some just simple words can cross the line. But so much of it is also you have to see it, like just watching Dabney Coleman and Dolly Parton really uh, lean into those counterparts. Uh <laughs> There's there's something there, and and I don't think it's far removed from maybe who she is, even as a as a performer or even as a person. Dabney Coleman really dials it back and just kind of shrivels up, and it's just it's it's fun, you know. I think a lot of this film really plays on that, and I think uh, I don't know that this is a film you can necessarily like make today or even try and remake it. And I don't, I, maybe there has been some attempt at that at some point. I feel like this is a, a film that is really stuck in this moment in time. And, you know, to watch it now, you could even say, well, there's a lot about like the style of it, the, uh, you know, even the costumes and the hairstyles and all that, even the workplace itself, like, especially now in 2023, a workplace is don't really look like that anymore. Like, you know, do people even go to offices anymore? There's a lot of this film that probably doesn't stand the test of time too well, but I think maybe, unfortunately, some of the issues, like especially between men and women and the power dynamics there, that struggle, that those issues that are around that, those are probably still alive and well in some form today. And so at least this film is still there to address that and to maybe poke fun at it, make some light of it, but also highlight like uh, these are things that we have to acknowledge and maybe, maybe we can take some steps to change it. And so for me, this is a recommendation. Of course, um, the reason I wanted to watch this again after all these years is because I, you know, growing up, Specifically, with regard to my mom and and this film, you know, my mom used to work in banks and banking. And there were a few times when I was very young when I would go with her to work. And, you know, to my mind, and what, in 1980, I would have been like five or six years old. But to my mind, that was the kind of place she worked at. 
Like it was very professional, very official. And so I, in my mind as a kid, this was always what I thought the kind of place my mom worked at was. And, you know, over the years, she worked at different places, of course, and and not all in banks and and professional environments even. But this was a, a big part of what I hung on to because I thought, well, this is this is what it's like for women to work like in an office or like in a in a big company like that. Even as a kid, I recognize that like one, it's it's a comedy. So it's kind of just being silly. But at the same time, like you can see pretty clearly that. There are some things that aren't right here. There are some things that even to a child's mind, they just don't seem fair. Yeah, that's where I think now it's become much more about people understanding that, being aware of that, and making changes to that. That's all great. But um, for me, this was a big part of, it, it was a formative thing for me to understand, like, if you work in this kind of setting or if you work in any kind of setting, really, but be, be nice, be respectful, be, be fair with your coworkers and with your colleagues and be understanding. And so I've tried to carry that with me in some way. And part of me is like, you know, I know my mom liked this movie and I, I couldn't tell you when the last time she saw it. I know we both saw it when I was a kid at some point, I guess when it came out, but I know that this was something she liked. And I, and I, in my mind, I guess I think maybe for those same reasons, maybe because this kind of thing, maybe in in not so uh, exaggerated ways, but this kind of uh, behavior or this kind of treatment was things that she had experienced or had seen and felt like this was a movie that at least tried to shine a light on that. And so for me, it's a recommendation. Of course, I want uh, things like this to at least shine in some way, not just because it's a, it's a nice memory for me, but also because, Hey, look, I mean, these things are maybe still relevant and maybe they still need some work. You know, we still got to do some, we still got to do better. I think I saw that on HBO max. So check that out when you have some time. Here we are film streak 245 splash. Alan Bauer has a very successful business. Okay, Bauer, you're ruined. You're finished. You're a ghost in this business. How'd you like some bananas at cost? Deal. He's got the wisdom and support of his brother, Freddy. I love this guy. Do you hear me? I love him. Give me a kiss. What's the matter? Are you too big? Give me a... I just want to meet a woman. I want to meet a woman, and I want to fall in love. Not much. And worst of all, Alan Bauer feels with all his heart that he doesn't have one. Freddy, something in here is not working. There are worse organs not to be working. We're Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And then, one day, accidentally, from out of the blue, it happens. Just looking at her is pure ecstasy. Just touching her is a lifelong fantasy come true. Just being in love with her plunges him into a wondrous world of rapture and enchantment. 
just one problem stands in his way. A little secret she's trying to keep all to herself. There is a mermaid in New York City. How come she's got legs? She has legs out of the water. She has fins in the water. What about a woman showing up naked in a public place, Freddie? Well, I'm bored, of course. Can I come in? No! All right, let me in. I'll, I'll be right there. I'm just changing. That girl is a mermaid. All my life, I've been waiting for someone. And when I find her, she's... She's a fish. Nobody said love's perfect. She's really hungry. Daryl Hannah, Tom Hanks, and John Candy. Splash, a fantastic tale about a fantastic tale. So, look, let me tell you a little bit of the, the background here for me with this film. So, this film came out in 1984. It was directed by Ron Howard. As you can hear there, Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah, John Candy. Um, my memory of this film was that I never got to see it. I remember my mom taking me to this film when it came out in the theater. And there's a point in the film, and watching it now, I guess it's further along than I thought it was. But in my mind, in my memory, I feel like it was like five minutes into the film. We got up and left. And it was literally my mom saying, no, we're not watching this. And we got up and walked out. And watching the film now, I, I, here's the thing. I remember it specifically being, oh, there's a woman walking around booking naked on the screen. Remember that from the Players Club? <laughs> there's a naked woman walking around. We cannot watch this. Because at the time, I would have been, what, eight years old, maybe? And... Look, I, you know, I think my mom was uh, somewhat open to understanding like, oh, here's, you know, something that I could tolerate or take or whatever. I think every parent kind of knows that with their children of what they can or cannot handle. But clearly this was over the line. Now, we didn't get to see the rest of the movie, so I didn't know really like, is this character actually going to walk around the whole time naked? And she, clearly she didn't know either. And so... That's where, I, in my mind, in my memory, I feel like that was where the line was crossed. Uh, 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 we can't do that. So we booked. Now, watching this movie all these years later, as a grown adult, with grown kids of my own, so way past even that point of like, would this be okay for my kids? I just, uh, I can just tell you, this is not a good movie. I think it's got a couple of good ideas in it. But it's so, it's just juvenile. It's like, who wrote this movie? Like a 12-year-old kid? I, there's so much fantasy and not just like, um, 
oh, a man meets a, a mermaid in real life or in the real world. And what is that? It, it's also like man loses his wife and his job is on the line. And he suddenly is just, he wants to escape into this other life with this uh, mystical creature with this imaginary woman with this um, fantasy, like an, a real grown adult fantasy. It feels really kind of gross, actually. And also, characters are idiots. All of these people are stupid. I mean, Tom Hanks, his character, Alan, he goes for like most of this movie and doesn't figure out that there's something definitely different about this girl like she doesn't have a name she doesn't know what food is it's like come on you're actually a dumbass right like that's how bad this movie is and maybe because i didn't see it when it came out i don't have any kind of uh, nostalgic attachment to it but watching it today this is just nonsense i mean the thing i can appreciate about it is that we're seeing some of these actors in a really early stage of their careers and and maybe not John Candy, let's say, but Tom Hanks. I mean, wow. Like you see this guy on screen and I mean, what he's like in his mid to late twenties, I'm guessing the character, right? Um, You just see like, Oh, here's a real talent. Watch this guy. He's going to do stuff. And turns out, of course, he did. But, and even Daryl Hannah, I mean, she's got like the worst character in the movie, but she still holds the camera. She holds your attention. And not because she's a book. I got to, here, wait a minute. I got to find this. <laughs> here, here's what I'm talking about. Remember this? Fucking naked. Uh huh. <laughs> here, I even found this one for you. Let me see here. What's. This is what this movie was for me. Bucket naked. <laughs> okay. That's that was my memory as an eight-year-old kid watching this movie. Just Bucket naked. That's it. That I didn't know anything about this movie other than that. It's like, hey, what's your review of Splash? Bucket naked. That's it. Okay. So um look, otherwise. All in all, at this point, this is not a recommendation. I, if you haven't seen this movie by now, just don't worry about it. Just keep moving. If you have seen it, maybe you have like a different kind of appreciation for it uh, through the years or whatever. If you haven't seen it in a long time, I would say go back and watch it and see what you think now. Because it's rough. It's really, I mean, part of it is trying to comment, I think, on the objectification of women and the obsession over beauty and image and all that. There are like moments of that in here, which I feel like we really should have leaned into that. Cause that was the stuff that was going to stand the test of time, but everything else about all these characters being total goofballs. I mean, even like Eugene Levy's in this film and it's just totally useless and totally not necessary. And it then becomes, uh, it becomes a mess. And I, I just, uh, I can't, I can't get with it, man. I can't roll with this. So that's a pass for me. I'm going to say, just keep trucking, man. Just keep moving on to the next. So with that in mind, let's do the same. Okay. Let's keep it moving.
All right. So look, this next film, this is Film Streak 246, Die Hard. Well, we'll see what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop, John McLean, has come to see his wife. I missed you. Instead, he's going to have to save her. Sit down. Within this skyscraper high above the city, 12 terrorists have declared war. They're about to be taught a lesson in the real use of power. There is brilliant because I am interested in the six hundred and forty million dollars in your vault. As they are ruthless. And I'm telling you, you're just gonna have to kill me. Okay. We do it the hard way. Now, the last thing McLean wants. Think, damn it, think, is to be a hero. Where's Holly? Tucker! Where? But he doesn't have a choice. What does he think he's doing? <laughs> Job. They have already killed one hostage. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Lady, do I sound like I'm born to pieces? He's inside? Who is he? Who are you then? You are most troublesome for a security guard. Sorry, wrong guess, huh? Would you like to go for double jeopardy? Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee ki mother. But you just destroyed a building. And I am in charge of this situation. Well, I got some bad news for you. From up here, it doesn't look like you're in charge of Jack. He is alone, he is tired, and he hasn't seen deadly squat from anybody down here. Hey, pal, how you feeling? With all things being equal, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. I want blood. And you'll have it. Only John can drive somebody that crazy. <laughs> He's an easy guy to like. Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. And a hard man to kill. Bruce Willis, Die Hard. Got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. Who knew? Okay, so look, obviously, of course, I've seen this movie before. I've seen it many times so many times the first time i saw it strangely enough even though i just talked about splash we walked out because mm, maybe it was inappropriate only what four years later four or five years later from 1984 1988 four years later uh my mom took me to see this film <laughs> now i don't know if it was necessarily um our, our lines moved in terms of what was acceptable, what was not in those four years. Maybe it was that, uh, uh, I remember we used to watch moonlighting, right? When I was a kid, my mom used to watch moonlighting. So I remember watching that. And of course, I think that was a big draw for this movie. Uh, one of the big selling points is like the star of TV's moonlighting. Bruce Willis is in an action movie. So I think that was a big way to get people into theaters, of course. And turns out that was really his lane, you know? And so I think that was why we went to go see it. And um, of course, after that, when it came out on home video, that was one of the first tapes, one of the VHS tapes that I bought 
or that we bought, I guess, because I was too young to have money like that. VHSs were expensive, crazy expensive. But I remember having a copy on VHS and I wore that thing out. I watched it, like, I think that would have been, what, 89, I guess, when it came out on the home video. I watched that maybe almost every day. Because when you're a kid in the late 80s, you're bored. There's no cell phones. There's no internet. There's no really even cable TV like there is today. So if you're at home sitting around, well, I got this movie I can watch again. And it's also a fun movie to watch. So, all right, let's put it on. So I watched this movie almost nonstop for a year or so. And then I got more VHS tapes and then we got to watch those too. There's so much about this film that I can almost like recite. I mean, the, the dialogue, the action beats, the, the, just some of the, some of the cinematography in it is, it's so iconic. It's like etched into my mind. And it really is another one of those that was very formative in terms of the language, the, the cinematic language that I understand. And I think for a lot of people, I mean, I think it's very clear, like this thing really changed the course of history for action movies and blockbusters and even who, what kind of person can be an action star. You know, because Bruce Willis was not in the Stallone and, and Schwarzenegger camp. You know, he was in a very different lane and he still carved out a real presence and, and turned it into a franchise, you know? And so I think that was a big part of it too, is just seeing this really change that landscape of films and especially with action movies. And so there's so much about this has been broken down and celebrated and talked about. Uh, you know, this was originally supposed to be, uh, it was based on a novel and I think it was nothing lasts forever. I think that was the name of the novel, which was, if I remember right, it was a sequel to a film that Sinatra was in. That was, it was based on a novel also. And I, so I remember hearing a lot of interviews with the, with the screenwriters, with the filmmakers involved. And that, there was at one point uh, an attempt to try and get Sinatra to be in this. And so that's a real, you know, that's kind of the background behind the scenes legends of how this all worked out. But I feel like the end result, the movie that we got, there's so many things that had to line up for this to all work out and be as great as it is and stand the test of time. Like it has that um, there's no way that I couldn't talk about this movie somehow. And so the fact that I got to at least go to see this with my mom and enjoy it and be thrilled by it and, and all of those things. Um, and as a young kid, I mean, at this point I would have been uh, 12, 13, maybe when this came out. And so this was definitely some new territory I was getting into in terms of what films can be and the types of stories you can tell and how intense they can be. And, you know, even just like the, the setting of the film, like that, that's something that I don't know really gets talked about too much with this. You know, there's a lot about the, the writing and the acting and, and some of the action stuff and all that. But I remember for me personally, one of the big things with the film was the way it really took you like behind the curtain 
of what a skyscraper, like an office building is. You know, if you walk into an office building just today or at any time, go into an appointment, to a meeting or whatever, um, you don't really pay attention to that. You're, you're focused on where you're going. But to think like there's a lot of other stuff just on the other side of that wall or just down that stairwell or behind this door. There's so much other stuff that's there that you'll never see and you don't need to see. But this film was, for me, it was interesting that it showed you that. It showed you like what it's like in the elevator shafts and what's up on the floor that's still under construction and what's going on on the roof. That's a, I don't know, that really, that really turned a knob in me of like, oh, wow, there's a whole world back there. And when you're a kid, you don't know that. And as an adult, you kind of start to get a better picture of that. But that was really eye-opening for me. And so, you know, there's a lot of other little things in the film that I just remember, like, at the time being so groundbreaking. Like, I think this was really the first time, like, in a big Hollywood film that I heard a rap song. Like, at the beginning, you know, when they're in the car driving to to the building and... Argyle puts on the Christmas and Hollis. And I was like, whoa, this film rolls like this. Okay. Because it's stuff you might've seen in some, you know, lower grade films that were coming out maybe on TV or on cable or something. But like, this is the first time I remember hearing it in a big Hollywood action film. And it's only for, you know, what, 10, 15 seconds or whatever. But still, it's enough to be like, okay, this film's bringing some swagger to it. All right, I got it. Another thing is, and and I'm watching it now, I, I remember spotting it over the years, but there's a scene where Al Powell, the, the cop on the ground, he's getting the call to go check out the building, right? Like there's reports of something, something going on. So he's in the gas station buying his Twinkies and he walks out to his car and he throws the Twinkies in the car and he just spins around to look at the building off in the distance, right? And I always remember this catching my eye. As the camera like changes focus and we move from him to the building way off in the distance, we see the sign for the gas. And unleaded in 1988 cost 77 cents a gallon. How you like that shit? <laughs> when is it ever going to be that again? It's one of those things that, you know, we hear older generations talk about, oh, you know, bread used to cost 10 cents a loaf or milk used to cost that. Well, here we have it on film. We have evidence of it. And I feel like you wouldn't necessarily understand, like, this was a film from that long ago. Like, it still feels so contemporary. It still feels so, uh, in some ways, modern. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think the the language, the visual language that it it built, it still holds to a lot of what we see in film today. And so to look back at it, it's not like you're looking at a film from like the 50s, where that's clearly a film from a different era. Here, it, it still feels contemporary in a way. And when you see something like that, just kind of uh, dropped in there, like, wait, when did they make this film? Oh, Almost, what, 40 years ago now? (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's fun to see. You know, one thing I always liked about this is that it has real ebb and flow to it. 
You know, it's not an action film that just goes all out the whole way through. And I think that that's where I think the magic is that this is a real film that knows when to push it and when to pull back and take its time, let some things sit for a minute. And, you know, there's the scene where John McClane meets Hans Gruber up in the, in the, uh, like up where the HVAC units are and all that stuff. He's looking for detonators or, or whatever. And they run into each other and they have this scene, this conversation. This is what, how this film really works. It's magic is it lulls you into these moments of, okay, things kind of, we're stepping everything down. We're going to take a beat. And then we got to watch these two characters try and figure each other out and twist on top of twist, reveal on top of reveal. And who's really, who knows what? I'm John McClane. You're, uh... Clay. Bill, Clay. Now to use a handgun, Bill. I spent a weekend at a combat ranch. You know that game with the guns that shoot red paint? Probably seems kind of stupid to you. Time for the real thing, Bill. All you gotta do is pull the trigger. Come on. Dreiunddreißigste Stockwerk. Kommt sofort. Down again and give me my detonators. Well, well, well. Hans. Put it down now. It's pretty tricky with that accent. You gotta be on fucking TV with that accent. But what do you want with the detonators, Hans? I already used all the explosives. Or did I? I'm going to count to three. Yeah. Like you did with Takagi. Oops. No bullets. You think I'm fucking stupid, Hans? You're saying? And then it just goes, it just goes back into it. Right. And I, you know, it's one of the, the, the things that I still enjoy about this movie somehow is that it knows when to hit the gas and then when to, you know, just tap on the brakes and let's just bring it down a little bit. And yet it never is not entertaining. Even in that scene, in that moment, when, I mean, we're not watching gunfire. We're not watching explosions. We're not watching a lot of fighting stunts, all that. It's just two guys talking. And with that, I mean, you're watching their eyes. You're watching their movements. I'm like, how? it's still to this day. This movie at this point, as many times as I've seen it over and over and over, I still am not quite sure how McLean knows that it's Hans. 
Like, where, what is the tell that he's seen? And I thought, maybe it's the accent, because he says, oh, hey, good job with that accent, but it doesn't sound like a great American accent. Or I even think, well, maybe he just recognizes the voice. Even through the accent, he recognizes the voice because he's talked to him on the on the walkie-talkies the whole time. Even when he hands him the gun, like he's kind of got a look of like, you're going to give me a gun? And I guess the most obvious answer is what the film at least brings up at some point early on is the cigarettes, the brand of cigarettes, the type of cigarettes, whatever. And when these two characters share cigarettes from the same pack, Bill Clay, Hans Gruber, he doesn't even bat an eye at what is this type of cigarette? What's this brand or whatever? Nothing really catches his attention about it. But also, and this was something that unless you smoke, you maybe don't even realize that this is a thing. The way you hold a cigarette is very particular sometimes, especially to different parts of the world, different cultures. And that's the best that I can tell that John McClane knew something was up because he never gives anything. Like he even says early in their conversation, he was invited to the Christmas party by mistake. So he knows right away, very quickly, that this is not just a guy. You know, there's like just enough where I'm not sure. And I think maybe that's the fun of it is trying to figure out like how these characters know what they know and how they're able to be so good at what they do. Even Hans, right? Who is the villain. And I think a villain for the ages, really. Like Alan Rickman really killed it in this. In terms of being somebody that... I think he was only a stage actor before this. But to really drop into this kind of a film. And make such an impression that you can see. Clearly. Over the years. There's been a lot of copycat versions of Hans Gruber. In different ways, right? And so I think there's just so much about this film that I still enjoy to this day. And I know for me, personally, also, there's a moment um, where Holly and John are having that argument when he arrives at the at the building. He's kind of trying to wash up and stuff. And there's one line that she delivers. I missed you. I guess you didn't miss my name, though, huh? Except maybe when you're signing checks. Since when did you start using Ms. Gennaro? It's a Japanese company. They figure a married woman's got You are a married work. woman, Holly. You're married to no, me. We're going to have this you conversation again. We did this in July. We I never a, finished this conversation in July. I had an opportunity. I had yeah, to take right. it. Right. No matter what the consequences, no what? matter what it did to our marriage, it you had to take it. It didn't do anything to our marriage except maybe change your idea of what our marriage should be. I don't think be. you have a clue as to what my idea of our I marriage should be. I know exactly what your idea of our marriage should be. And that moment, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the energy of it, it's the tone in her voice, something about it, it, it reminds me of mom. Like mom knew that if I got to stand up for myself, I'm going to say what I got to say. And I, that's another thing. Shout out to Bonnie Bedelia, who I think really kind of caught the short end of this whole thing of not just this film, but even the franchise, let's say, kind of just eventually being written out of it. But she's such a gangster in this movie. I mean, Holly just brings it and knows how to stand up for herself, even face to face with Hans. 
And I think really everybody in this movie really just brings a game. And they're so memorable. They're so unique. And I think that's what's been the, the staying power of the film. That's what's really kept it going and kept it alive. I mean, on top of all the, you know, the music, Michael Kamen does such really interesting, just really adventurous, but also tense sounding stuff in here. It's it's such a strange mix of things, but it all really works. Jan de Bont, I, I just remember seeing the cinematography and the way he uses lights and angles. Even in that scene I just played earlier where it's all Dutch angles for some reason. Only that scene in the movie really does that. And I I don't know why, but it works. It, for whatever reason, it literally like throws you off balance of like, what is happening right now? And so just real kind of genius, smart moves like that throughout the film. You know, the script, Jeb Stewart, Stephen D'Souza, they really hit it with dialogue and the right ideas in it. And of course, John McTiernan really heading up the whole thing. I just think this, if there's anything that ends up on the man's gravestone, it's this, right? So great job all around. Of course, recommend it 100%. This is really at the top of my list of films. I don't, I don't know what else to say about it other than if you haven't seen this by now, you should go see it. And it is definitely a classic. All right. So look, that's been a lot of, uh, it's been a lot of fun stuff. kind of watching those films again, or one of them for the first time. But uh, a big part of it was I really wanted to take a minute to step back and not so much look forward, but look back for a moment and think about, um, for me, what it's been, especially the last year, kind of working through some things uh, with um, you know everything that that has come out of the loss and the, and the grief, and um, and trying to find a a way to understand it and appreciate it and find some value in it, you know. And, and I'm sure, like. I'm not the only person that's lost somebody in the last few years. I'm sure many, many people have. Um, But to me, it's always somewhat comforting that stories and experiences from other points of view and from other walks of life, sometimes they, they really can help you get through that or help you have a better understanding either of the world and how it works or of yourself and how you can work and how you can work better. And so that's been, it's been a fun part of this whole thing. Um, especially with, um, being able to take a moment and reflect. So, Hey, thanks for checking this out. Thanks for listening. And, um, if you have a minute, stop by filmstreak.com. You can sign up to get the episodes come directly to you by email. You can subscribe in Apple podcasts, Spotify, all those places, uh, also I have a list there of IMDb. I'm keeping track of all of these films. And so you can go there and you can use IMDb to like I do. I just make a list there. I can rate them if I want, or I can at least see where they're streaming. It'll show you if it's playing on HBO max or Netflix or, uh, Amazon prime video or Hulu or whatever. Right. So it's a really useful tool. Um, so I do that. Um, I did the letterbox thing. I kind of added some films there to a list there. If you're there, I, if you want to look it up, just search for film streak, you'll find the list. Um, 
I don't, I'm still kind of back and forth on that. But either way, look, thank you for listening. Thanks for checking this out. Thanks for kind of sticking with the ride here. If you've been listening for a little bit, um, got some other things coming up soon. So stay tuned. In the meantime, going to go watch some new movies. You do the same. And uh, Ma, I love you.